from the depths of nowhere. Two guys sitting around talking about bullshit. It is Sports and Spirits with Nathan and Max. Good luck. It's okay. You know. Yeah. Uh, the science of football. Yeah, it talks about basically how the evolution of the game has changed. And each chapter, it talks about how it's changed, you know, like I said, how the analytics, how the right, how, how the game's just played today. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's – I guess if you're a football fan, it's worth reading. It's by Will Carroll and Tyler Brook. Uh, you know, and it, it goes into – uh, the offense, the way the passing game is, the way the defense is now, um, and you know the the how the different personnel packages are in the defenses and offenses, uh, how special teams has fallen off, and but yet it talks about really the kind of the precursor to the XFL, the way they do kickoffs. Yeah, that was talked about before the XFL <coughs> even existed. Well, they existed, but they talk they talk about before the season started this year. So mm-hmm. that was implemented this year, and it's in, even in this book. So this is a new book, twenty twenty two. Oh, it's actually new. Yeah. Okay. And then it talks about injuries, how injuries, you know, how, how their role as far as. You know, when you tear an ACL, sure. those you know most of them are correctable. Uh, you know, broken bones aren't near as bad. It does talk about concussions and the concussion protocol, but it really does. It really doesn't. It really, you know, it really doesn't. Uh, it talks more about the rehab part of the injuries. Yeah, and. Uh, so, um, you know, I guess it's, uh, it, I guess it just talks about more or less like how players are able to come back faster from yeah. injuries than, than sure seems that way before. Yeah. And, you know, it does talk about that, how equipment is, you know, they've tried to improve the equipment and things like that. Hey, man, steroids are a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, and well, it does talk about that. It does talks, it? it? Well, it doesn't talk about steroids, but it talks about the stuff they give them, the dead and pain and stuff, yeah. and then the, the ritual they get on if, if they're on kind of like painkillers and sure. stuff like that. Uh, you know, equipment change, and then, you know, training and development, how training and development is being done now to where they're, they're able to, you know, put on their, their equipment, their practice, you know, their shoulder pads and stuff. They yep. Get, you know, monitor their heart rates and all mm-hmm. that during practice and, and things like that. It goes into the draft, the analytics of the draft. Uh, then it goes into analytics. And then it goes into broadcasting and the gambling aspect that's now permeated yeah. the sport. I mean, hell, gambling now is like one and two. You know what I mean? Like well, yeah, because part it of the used to be a now. no-no. They never talked about gambling with sports now. But now, now they're is, sponsored yeah, by now all this stuff. Yeah, now it's part of the sponsor and, and all the sports, really. 
Yeah. You look at it. All their major sponsors now are gambling. Yeah. And so now they're just totally pushing it. I mean, granted, which we talked about this a couple times even off air, but, you know, we just got done watching the first night of WrestleMania, or at least parts of it. You you watched parts of it. I watched the whole thing. Yeah. But they're talking about doing gambling on WWE. I just don't see how you can do that. Especially when it's something that's scripted. Yeah, that's that's when money's yeah. involved mm-hmm. and something is scripted, there's gonna be foul play somewhere in there. How how can you how can you bet that this person's gonna beat this person when other people already know the results before it even happens? You can't because, like you said, it's scripted. I don't think that will ever pass because I don't see how then it can. you could actually control the odds. Yeah, all it takes is finding a buddy and being like, "Hey, dude, this dude's gonna go over tonight. This guy's gonna win. Bet a bunch of money on it." Yeah, it's like because you can't you, you you can't bet on the Academy Awards. But right. what's interesting now, and I think I saw an article. Is it? Are we in the second or third year now? You can actually bet on the draft. Oh, I have no idea. And so there's odds on the draft of what player goes. Like, you know, is the first player going to be a quarterback? Does he come yeah, out of the Yeah, ha- no, I have heard that. You know, so that means is, that we're like in the second or third year can, of that. You know, yeah, like, is a quarterback going to be drafted the whole first round? You know, they have bets like that. Yeah, and the over like and under yeah. of how many quarterbacks go. But anyways, the uh, the book is the science of football, and they've got one on I think baseball and hockey, and it just it just goes into how the games changed. But I think it's interesting because our last episode we talked about Patrick Mahomes, and I got in a conversation with a listener uh, last week uh, that brought up the question. Um, well, doesn't every generation make the claim that they've seen the best, you know, like Patrick Mahomes is the best we've ever seen? Yeah. And, you know, the reality of that is for each generation, it's true that every generation has... They have somebody. Yeah, every generation has somebody the best they've ever seen because, one, the evolution of how things prosper and develop it's a natural progression that we see so if we just take about think about the quarterback position mm-hmm. and if we just think about what it you know if you just go back to the 60s because you can go back to the 60s and go on YouTube and watch old 60s films sure and if you take just what Johnny Unitas was able to do, well, that generation... He was the he, best. He was the best they ever saw. Yep. And then Joe Namath stepped it up a little bit more. He became the best people ever saw. And then you get into, you know, Joe Namath is kind of a blend between the 60s and the 70s. Yep. But then you get into the 70s, and then you see Roger Staubach or... Doing stuff that nobody's ever yeah, done. Yeah, it, it's it, it just it's a it's 
always kind of like a step up. Yep. And then when we get into the going to the seventies and the eighties, and you know each each generation takes a piece. Yep. And they're able to add just a little bit more. Right. And they this, take a piece of what was there before. Yeah. And they're just a little bit better. Yeah. Well, they add to it. Yeah. And, and it becomes better. Yeah. And what this is called is called modeling. And people, so the best example I can tell you for people to understand this is if you look at the the prospect of what Evil Knievel was doing in the late 60s into the 70s, early 80s. Yep. That whole concept was created. The showmanship, the stuntman that's going to yep. take a motorcycle that wasn't designed to, to do, do what, what he's doing. To do what he's doing and death-defying leaps. Yep. And they were that. Because, oh, yeah. you know, the chance He got of fucked him, up multiple yeah, the times. The chance of him being killed was very high. Yeah. He just happens to survive. Well, that's guys. what got everybody watching. Right. There's a the, chance the, this yeah, dude's going to die. Right. The the agony of defeat. Yep. But nobody will dispute today the guys that are doing the same thing. They've got better bikes. Yep. They're jumping further. I mean, all of Evil Knievel's records have been broken. Right. And even the guys that's gone back to try to replicate what Evil Knievel was doing with the same type of equipment. Yeah. They... Can't they, do it. No, they were, they're able to do it and, and do it just better. as good or better because even though it's replicated equipment, there's more understanding. There, you know. Well, here's how I kind of see it. Athletes in general have just gotten better. And there's in the reason, the reason for that is because a football player, a kid being raised in the '60s, versus a kid being right. raised Football's in 2000, different than what it is now. Well, they're raised from day one now. Right. From the time they they're three, four years old, you're going off to football camps. Yeah. And so you're getting so Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. And in the book, he talks about why certain, you know, he, he talks about why certain groups of athletes, like Excel. hockey players, that were born for some reason that are born in like October, November, because they're at the front of the hockey season. Are and better. And just because they're older and a little more developed, yeah. they have more propensity of being better players because they're a little more developed because they're in front of the hockey season curve. Yeah. And he also talks about how sports, not so much the stereotypical, well, blacks are better athletes. That may be true, yeah. but that doesn't make them better sports players. Athletic ability in sports doesn't necessarily give you an advantage. The skill still has to be honed. So if you look at why a third of Major League Baseball players come from one country, yep. Dominican of Republic, which is a yep. small country because their culture is groomed. Their culture is baseball is the number one sport. Right. And the reason why blacks are better at basketball because the culture of the inner city kid 
basketball. played basketball yep. through the through the sixties, well, seventies, it's, it's hard to just create a football game out of nowhere. It's no. easy. It's easy to create a basketball game right. to where you've got a bunch of people kind of hanging out. It's like, hey, do y'all want to play? Because right. we want to play. Let's play. Right. You know, it just can spawn out of nowhere. So that's why hockey players are, you know, ninety nine percent white because they come from cold environments and they come in, yeah. in isolated yeah. areas. Yeah. So that becomes their sport that they pick yeah. up. And Granted, there are a bunch of good black hockey players. I mean, heck, just look at uh the LA Knights. Don't yeah. they have a the hell's his name? I think his name starts with a P. Whatever it is, this dude, he's good. Yeah. You know, and there's a bunch of them. Well, I've, you, I've sat there yeah. and watched a ton of them, but like you said, predominantly white right. players are playing in the NHL. Right. And like you said, it's because that's that's who's being brought up for that. Same with the NBA. Predominantly it's all black kids that are coming into the right. NBA. Granted, every now and again you get an outlier. You know, like, but for example, Luca, that, he's a white kid, right? That but culture he, is but he to is, yeah, it's slowly starting to change. Now and now overseas, worldwide. yeah, overseas, right. those players are starting to become better than the players we have, right? Because now they're starting to pick the game up, yeah. as a young kid. Well, like it's a, it's the same thing when it comes to. Uh, I know we talked about this on the last episode, but with the World Baseball Classic, right? If MLB and all the teams allowed all the best players to play, because there were a lot of good players that didn't get a chance to play because their team said, no, you're not going to go play this. We're not taking a chance of you getting hurt to go play a meaningless game. Right. So if they were allowed to play, USA would have just dominated. They would have whooped everybody. Right. You know, because... USA has all the best players. MLB has all the best players. Right. It's the same like you said. With NBA and, hell, even soccer. All of those. It depends on where you're coming out of to determine how good all those players are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a concentration of a culture. Yeah. And you can, you don't even have to take sports. You can take almost anything and if you get an aggregate concentration somewhere, yep. you're going to get a higher propensity of that group to be better. And, you know, it's it's kind of like the English invasion that happened in the 60s with rock music or rock and roll, where most of the, the English groups that came out of the 60s dominated, and they all were in one neighborhood because they all gravitated to a sound, they perfected a sound, and they took over the 60s, early 70s rock sound, and we saw the same thing with 90s rock music. They all came from the Seattle area for a while, and you had about 20 or 30 bands dominating that genre for maybe 10 years, I guess, but it's... You know, and like I said, that that was, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about that with, you know, he takes all these little scenarios and he talks about how the Beatles, the 10,000-hour rule and those things, how they perfect a craft. 
And, you know. But uh, I will tell you one unpopular opinion. Yeah. I cannot stand the Beatles. Well, that's fine. I do I mean, not like know, their music. Right. I don't that, like the, yeah, anything that, they do. Yeah, and that, that's a subjective thing. The, the point being is all those groups that came out of the Rolling yeah. Stones, the Beatles, the Who, uh, you know, Eric Clapton, yep. you know, Led Zeppelin, all those people, they all knew each other in the 60s. They yep. all knew who each other were. They were, you know, they, they, they all had kind of street cred, but yet they all became popular and they dominated the around rock the same scene time, all at the same time. Yeah, and, and you know, and so that that's the was point it like that, a pushing and shoving match? Like, you know, we want to be the top guy, get the fuck out of here, or were they all kind of cordial and just kind of like, well, no, they're top I guys think, and we're top guys? I think back then, I don't because Led people, Zeppelin kind of owned they, all of that. Well, didn't they, they changed rock. They changed what big rock bands were. They got control of everything. Yeah. Where the Beatles didn't have so much control until after. But that, you know, I don't think they, I don't think it was kind of the dog-eat-dog mentality. I think they all knew there was a piece of the pie for everybody. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't, I don't really see it that way. But um, either way, it's, it's that concentration of something that gets gets a brewing in a melting pot somewhere, and then all of a sudden you get an explosion. And like I said, so if you look at the 50s, NBA 50s, it was predominantly white players. And then... Then they the, realized. Because of civil rights and the, and, and the, the uh, desegregation of schools and things like that, and moving the blacks into the inner cities... By the late by the '60s, you start getting the black athlete dominating, right. and you know, and you had the ABA. Then too. you realize they're just better. You know, I mean, that plain and simple, they're just better. They were is from from the standpoint, yeah, that that that's the perception they're just better. But like I said, now we're starting to see in the NBA. We're slowly kind of moving. Growing, the, the movement's growing. Overseas out. is becoming right. the better player. So those kids in those cities, that you know, whether they're black, white, you yeah. know, Asian or whatever, now they're starting to push back in, and you know, and it's still it's still a heavy heavily you know the NBA still a heavily uh, inner city sport. Right. But if you take other things like tennis and golf and Sports that aren't considered mainstream, those numbers don't add up. Even though people will make the argument a black athlete is uh, more athletic, but if you look well, at I mean, tennis, I mean, I would argue the best golf athlete is black. At one time, Tiger Woods. I yes. think he still is. I mean, he's winning now. Uh, well, I mean, not he's at not, the rate he was he's winning not before. Dominating anymore, but. He, you know, uh, he's not since he's had the wreck and stuff, and yeah, since he's had. His I mean, if you look at it, his personal life, his career has gone downhill. To me, the best but golf, the best golf on. athlete, or one of the best right. golf athlete is black. The best NFL athlete is black. Right. Well, he's black and white. Right. And then the best basketball star black 
obviously. Yeah. Uh, you've got LeBron James. I mean, right. I would say, I mean, arguably, you could say that Steph Curry's the best uh, athlete when it comes to the NBA because the way the NBA works now, he he is the reason the NBA changed. Right. Because he that, his whole team changed the way that game is played. Exactly. So if you look at Michael Jordan, he changed not because of physicality. He changed because of his athletic ability. Yeah, you but couldn't he was stop able him. Able to change the league. Yeah. To where now you got players that are more athletic, way more, more physical. Which and, I think and, LeBron and James more, and would more, set and but, more, at, more but, accurate. But like you said, Steph Curry. With their ability, has changed the game. I think, in my opinion, yeah, I would say I would say LeBron James is probably the best player in the NBA. Or but, was, but Stephon Curry changed, has changed the game. Yeah, the, LeBron didn't change the game. No, he played it he, just like Michael yeah, Jordan did. And the game changed to where With LeBron's ability isn't enhanced as much. Yes, to where like Steph Curry's ability, yeah, his is ability, more enhanced his ability is not as profound as right. it used to be. Right. Because now we don't need a rough you up, dunk no, on you player. Changed. We're shooting threes. We don't right. care about that. Right. I mean, Golden State showed that you do not have to have these big, strong, rough, and tough players. We can still beat you. Yeah. And, and Stephon Curry is the one who led that charge right. with his three-point ability. Right. I mean, this dude is just knocking these. I mean, I don't even like the NBA. But I will watch Golden State play just so I can see Stephon Curry play. Right. Because of how he knocks down those threes. Yeah, you just want to watch it. And and if you look. I mean, hell, they did the it against the Mavericks, 20. didn't they? Last year, didn't they? Against As far as what? In the playoffs, didn't he just knock down threes all day long against oh, yeah. the Mavs? Well, if you look at the top twenty players in three point shooting, they've all—they're all, yeah, in the last ten or fifteen years. Just like, just yep. like in football, you look at the stats of the quarterbacks that yep. once they retire, that are dominated that that with yardage, the receivers. It's all in a certain era. Yep. So that's what you get uh, because of a product of the rules changing, a product of the player adjusting to what those rules are, and then somebody coming up with a scheme or a concept that exposes that because – Really, what the Golden State Warriors are doing, Donnie Nelson Sr. was trying to do with the Mavericks in the 90s. It didn't work. It didn't work because there was still too much emphasis on defense, and defense could be more physical, so yeah. it eliminated that, and there wasn't enough of those Nowadays, type of you're getting players. a damn technical if you hit somebody. Yeah. So, yeah. There, you know, they, they didn't have enough of those players – to pull together, but that concept isn't new. It's just it's now it's become the mainstream. It's become the norm. Now everybody's following it because the yep. Golden State Warriors were able to put it in place yep. and win with it. Yeah. 
And for a couple years. For yeah, what they've won three or four. Yeah, uh, hell, they won last year, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, I think they won three in five years now. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I want to say last to year. I'm sitting there and I'm watching the games, and yeah. I really don't watch NBA very much. But as soon as the Mavericks got into the playoffs, I started watching. Right, and then you know they did great against uh, the team that they ended up beating to move on. Right. Then they get against Golden State, and freaking Stephon Curry is just smacking them the whole game, just drilling these threes. Right. And it's like, good. It's like, you're never going to catch up unless you start draining threes. Right. Yeah, well, Luca wasn't. He wasn't draining threes. So right. it's sitting there, and Stephon Curry's getting the ball, and he just soup and going right in. Yeah. And it's like, there, you guys have no fucking chance of beating this team. Yeah. You know, and that, that's kind of how the NBA has become. A team comes out and they're they're moving on all cylinders and hitting threes. You have no chance of beating that team. Right. That team is going to whoop you every single time. Right. So, you know, getting back to the original premise of the question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Getting back to the original premise of the question, yes, each generation, the athlete is probably better than the previous generation. But there again, because of the modeling, and, and, and like I said, I'll go back to the Evil Knievel point. What Evil Knievel was able to do, he created a genre, but yet nobody can name anybody as far as anybody's jumping motorcycles any at any point. Everybody knew who Evil Knievel was in his day, but nobody can name any of these daredevils now because right. it's like that feat, that that wow you moment, it, 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 it's Really, gone. in all honesty, he's the only person that I know. But there are people that followed him. Yeah. But it died so quickly because of the wow factor. And eventually yeah. it will happen. Whenever whenever you are doing it consistently, yeah. people are like, well, he's going to do it every time. Ain't no point in watching now. Well, but like I said, it, it didn't follow to where people are glued to the TV when one of these guys yeah. do these jumps now. You need uh, that death-defying shit. Yeah, well, it's it's not, though. It's It's... You know, these guys are able to do things now that Evil Knievel didn't have access to. So what happens is, when do we get to the point of the wow factor being dead in other sports? And some, and I, sometimes I think we have come to that at certain points in sports, the wow factor. And maybe that's, maybe that's why all these leagues have changed the rules to try to change that, to make sure the wow factor yeah. doesn't die. But at some point, there's only so much the human body will be able to do. Yeah. And, but like I said, yes, there will be somebody that's going to be better than LeBron James. There's going to be somebody better than Pat Mahomes. There's going to be somebody better than, you know, uh, uh, Mike Otani Trout. Or, Otani. Or, or, yeah, Mike Trout. It's always going to be the next guy up for each generation. And that's one thing that, you know, I've noticed just watching sports over the years. Yeah. You know, whether it's baseball, football, MMA, whatever, you watch it. The athletes that come out now are leagues above 
most of the athletes that are here beforehand. So like, for example, NASCAR. Most of the new drivers, these dudes are winning now. It ain't taking them three to four years like it used to. Yeah. They're winning now. Then you go to NFL. Quarterbacks are coming out, and like we have talked about before, you're expected to start right. now and have success. And, and I think the athlete is just getting better than they used to be. Well, I think that's also because, just like in NASCAR, these kids now are driving these cars, even though they're not NASCAR, they're driving something similar to a NASCAR car at 12, 13 years old. Yeah. And by the time they get to They've been NASCAR, driving this damn simulator for 15 years. You know, well, either that or by the time they get to NASCAR, they've got almost 10 years under yep. the belt of driving these cars. Where, you know, Jeff Gordon didn't have that option. No, you just jump in and go. You know, he was driving sprint cars. And, uh, you know, and, and it's the same with, uh, what was the other one you were talking uh, NFL. MLB. NFL. Yeah. Uh, you know. They're it, just better athletes. Yeah, because they're groomed from day one yeah. to see Been it. starting since they were this big. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like me growing up. We didn't have all these select leagues to go play yep. in. Yep. And and that's what's happening. So these kids are playing the sport year-round, going to clinics, giving private lessons. Yep. And so, yeah, and just like the quarterbacks that are coming up, these quarterbacks are starting in middle school playing these same offenses to a certain degree yep. to where used to – you never saw what happened in high school was being replicated in the pros. It was it was impossible. Now it's the other way around. The pros are replicating what these kids are doing in high school, and so they walk into a system. By the time they go from middle school to high school to college, they've been they've been playing in this system for ten or twelve years now. Yep. And so that's what you're seeing. Same with basketball. You know it. It well, the always, whole game, the whole game has changed. Yeah. So now all the players are starting to play like the Golden State Warriors yeah. in college. But college was the one that set that template. Yeah. And now everybody plays that way. Yeah. Even in high school. Oh yeah, I've watched high school basketball yeah. even here in my right. little town. Right. And all they do, granted, I think it's probably coaching, but all they do is shoot deep threes. Right. And if they're not shooting threes, all they're doing is passing the ball. I mean, I'm sitting there, and they're passing to each other, and I see somebody get open. I'm like, shoot the fucking ball. Shoot it. Shoot it. (laughs) And what do they do? Pass somebody else. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening here? Yeah. Coaching needs to be like, hey, when you get a ball and it's open, shoot it. We don't care if you're accurate or not. Shoot it. Yeah. So, you know, that, that this was a question, like I said, I got to talking to a listener and we got to discussing. And, you know, I think it's just the evolution of what humans are. And the more nutrition, science, yeah. They're all just going to get it's, better. It's, it's going to get better to a point 
and whether in the next 20 years they flatline from that part. I mean, back in the so day, much an they were athletes. So yeah. Now they're super athletes. To a certain I mean, extent. I would say because you, we were you, saying the I same I would say thing. if you gathered all the top players right. from now and you put them up against the top players from maybe, let's say, the 90s, the top players now would probably just run through the 90s. Especially if the if the game is played the way it's played now. If it's played now. See, and that's the thing. Like, the quarterback now versus the quarterback, like, say, in the 70s and 60s. Yeah. These, there's two different attributes they had to have. Accuracy in the 70s didn't mean a whole hell of a lot yeah. if you couldn't take the pounding and, and the brutality. So, And that, back then, if you could overthrow the coverage, you're good. Yeah, yeah and it, that's part of it. The so, Hail Mary. And, and so, I'm not saying Pat Mahomes couldn't play in the 70s. What I'm saying is Pat Mahomes is going to be a different version of Pat Mahomes because he's going to have to worry about Jack Youngblood taking his head off, and there won't be a flag coming behind it. Yeah. So that's a whole different concept, and we see it. I honestly think nowadays the team that – if you took now the Pro Bowl team against the Pro Bowl team of the 90s, they would just wreck shop, I think. Well, I, ju- I, just don't, like- I just don't see how they would be able to compete when this team now – all the players are geared to beat your defense. They're all geared for it. I mean, they're bred well, for it. Well, that's part also the evolution of the game because the way the game is looked at now yeah. to where the conservative concept there again, when the but game was the all players are meant to play inside that conservative concept. Right. So That was the physicality. Yeah, the so, physicality's gone. Yeah. That, so, that's not there anymore. It is and it isn't, but they're get so. You know the game didn't change; it wasn't changing like it, the 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 rap the rapidity of how the game is changing now. Just look at Tom Brady's career. Yeah. Look how much it changed just in his career, and I think if 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 we went all the way back just at the beginning of the Super Bowl era, where teams were. Physical, you know, physicality was the first and foremost, and just routine over and over. We didn't care what the defense did. We're just going to try to run over you. Yep. Now it's totally opposite. Yep. We look at what the defense is doing, and we're going away from the defense. We're throwing to the open spaces. We're not trying to force something by muscle or physicality or things like that. We're playing the game smarter instead of physical, and – those things are making the difference. Rule changes have changed some of that. Removing the referee from the defensive side of the ball that used to be in the middle is gone. Those things have opened up the middle. Like I said, rules have made changes there. So that's part of it. But every sport has changed the rules to where offense has been enhanced. It's it's more exciting. Except for NASCAR. Yep. It's the only one where the defense of the rules have. Been I mean, they have to a to certain defense. extent. They made it to where winning counts more than right, you know, but consistency. but the cars, as far as the cars, right, make it all even. Yeah, the cars have become even because if we kept going, they'd be doing three hundred miles yeah. an hour. 
Yeah. And, and, and the deal is, is cars are safe. even, so the best drivers are who makes the difference. Right. And so, and, and just like NASCAR last week, they, they're on a road course. Yep. And I've been asked this question, why NASCAR, when they do a road course? At, you know, it's funny. I used to hate road courses. Now, I love them. Right. But, the, but, so, but I get asked, well, if NASCAR wants to incorporate the road course, yep. which, what, they get three now a year? Hell, I think they're up to four to five. Okay. Well, whatever. So, they're wanting, they're wanting to change that yeah. landscape. But then the question comes up, then why do this, half of the teams change their drivers to suit these courses? Shouldn't they be... Shouldn't they have to have Shouldn't their drivers race the right. race? And I have to Which, I kinda granted, have to think that, about that. That is only gonna be small teams. That's not gonna happen on big teams. Right. But and then so I get asked why do they do it? And, I, and it's like I've well, explained. Because owner points and manufacturer points. That right. stuff matters at the end of the year. But also the drivers that are capable of driving, like you're saying, that you know. Most of these guys that run NASCAR are what's called a right rear driver. Yep. They drive on the they right dr- rear. They of drive the, car. the circle courses. Right. They're then not, you have then you have a special select group. Right. That can dominate at road courses. Right. The you got Chase. Races. You've got uh, Larson, uh, Christopher Bell, uh, Eric Amarola. Uh, Actually, Cordula Joy is actually pretty good at road courses. Um, who's the other ones? Oh, uh, you got... Hell, that might be all of them. Yeah. I mean, there there's a small select group of guys who dominate when they go, and it does not matter what place they start in. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched... When we went to the first race ever at COTA... Chase started like 30-something. Right. He won. Yeah. He got all the way to the front, raced his way all the way to the front, and won. Right. You know, Martin Truex, he's also a really good road course driver. Right. But, like you said, there's a small group of guys who dominate these races. You know, and for the most part, most guys in NASCAR... They're left-hand drivers. They they they're used to going to the left. You know they're used to doing big circles. You know super speedways, whatever it is. They're used to doing that, and it actually shows you when they do go to road courses. The real uh, all-encompass driver compared to just the NASCAR driver. Right. You know because there's been plenty of times I go and I'm like, oh, I like this dude. But he sucks at road or road courses, right? And you're like, well, there's a reason why he's only good at the NASCAR super speedway shit. Mm-hmm. You know, just like Bubba Wallace, he's only good at super speedways. Yeah, you know, and- like go and watch his career. The only time this dude has won is super speedways. Well, that uh, Earnhardt was kind of Earnhardt. Jr. He's the same way. Earnhardt Junior. Same he, way. He was only super good speedway. At super speedways. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it, it's you know it, it it's part of the it's just it's just part of the way a sport goes, and I get you know the diversity that NASCAR's trying to do. Right. 
but then let's go back to the NFL. There is no diversity in the NFL. Every no. team is almost identical. Yeah. And you're always, you're never going to have in any team sport, you're never going to have 32 quarterbacks that are equal. It's yep. never going to happen. There's always going to be a cream of the crop. There, no there's a reason why. The rules. Yeah, there's a reason why that your quarterback dictates how your season's going to be. Yeah. I mean, look at the Cowboys. They suck when Dak's not there. And, yeah. man, when he comes back, they're number one in scoring offense, number one in yards, all that. I mean, they still lose. But they become number one in everything. Yeah. But, and like I said, and if you've got one guy that fits that mode, like Pat Mahomes. Yep. But if he's gone, if he gets hurt, yeah, your whole season's fucked. Yeah, then what are they? Yeah. And, and that that's, yeah, there are some teams that have almost, well, I would say Philadelphia was able to pull it off, you know, yeah. five years ago. When they won the Super Bowl. Right, when yeah, they won the sure. Super Bowl. But the drop-off from Wentz <coughs> to, what was his? Uh, Foles. Foles, Nick Foles, wasn't that drastic. No. Matter no. of fact, I, when they... I think Foles was actually I I better. Got, I would agree. I think Foles fit that offense better. Better than, yeah, Wentz did. Than Wentz did. And, the, yeah, and so, and kudos to Philadelphia for finding two quarterbacks that could play that system yep. uh, or at least utilizing what they were capable of doing to where you usually don't have that to where both quarterbacks have the same exact caliber. Yep. And if you lose one, the next one come in. And and so now we're even seeing it with 49ers that – Fucking went through five quarterbacks. Well, but now they're already saying that Brock Purdy, when he comes back, it's his job now. So they've yep. already basically said – so an article came out about – Trey Young's done. Trey Lance. Trey Lance, yeah. That – what, was it a mistake that they jumped up? No, it wasn't a mistake. They were trying. No, to they find were trying a to get a starting quarterback. Yeah, a generational quarterback. They just happened to draft their starting quarterback in a further draft. And we don't know the story of what Brock Purdy's going to be. It could but, suck. But we see this almost every four or five years, where we saw it with Drew Bledsoe. Yep. Tom Brady. We saw it with Drew Bledsoe, Tony Romo. We, you know, we see this where we saw it with Matt Flynn was the high uh, free agent yep. that played behind. Because he had one game against the Cowboys and threw seven touchdowns. And he, you know, gets this big contract, goes to Seattle, and I remember can't that. even beat out Russell Wilson, who was a third Yep. Third round and a rookie, and rookie season, and they paid a fourth. I, I yep. want to say at the time he was the highest paid quarterback when they made that. Probably deal. was, and he didn't play a damn down for. Him. <laughs> yeah. So we see this all the time, and just like last year, Russell Wilson, they felt like Geno Smith fit the system better, yep. so they moved on from him. Uh. This happens, 
um, like I said, we see it every three to four or five years uh, with these quarterbacks. But and but when you've got a certain way of a sport is played, like we talk about the NBA, like the NFL, like NHL hockey, yep. there are certain players that are going to fit that mold and excel at it. And there's in, in trying to find the next Tom Brady or whatever. The only way you're going to overcome that is either come up with a different scheme and change what it is. Yep. And but as long as everybody keeps trying to find the next Pat Mahomes or the next Aaron Rodgers playing follow the leader, you're not going to innovate the sport. Yep. The sport's never going to change. Somebody has to step up and be creative. Change it. Change it somehow. And that's what's happened. Somebody's changed the sport. And it's it doesn't happen overnight. <coughs> it's just the incremental things that happen that Yeah, in all honesty, I thought for a second that change was going to be Lamar Jackson. But yeah. I, I think what happened is, and unfortunately for him, I think the league ended up figuring him out right. and just shut him down last year. Right. But before that, granted, I'm the one that was like, he sucks. He's not a good quarterback. He can't <laughs> throw the ball. He can't do this. I mean, he proved me wrong. He can throw the ball, but granted, he's not a very good quarterback. Pocket passer. Not a good pocket passer. Right. Yeah, he, he's an amazing runner. Right. And I mean, this dude right here, you, you can't stop him. Right. But that's not what you need from your quarterback. Well, and that, we say that, but there again. NFL's changing. But the NFL's changing. And if, there again, if I can't find the next Pat Mahomes, what's my best alternative? Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. I got to try something. Yep. And and I get it. I'm not so saying. Who, who's going to go get him? I don't know. Or do you think he's going to be a Raven? I don't know the 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 stuff that came out this week, and they're trying. You know, he's wanting to be traded. Oh, he's yeah, he's already he's already said bye to the fans. All yeah. that he's like, I want out. Yeah, and I would Which, think granted, he's going to be if you've got a team right on the edge. To me, the Colts make the most sense because they've got a good offensive line. They've got an Awesome running back. Possible, yeah. And then you've got him. Uh, you know, I could see him probably going to about five or six different teams. Really. I mean, I could see him going to commanders. Hope not. Uh, I can see him going to uh, – um, not the uh, – I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> uh, for some reason, I'm drawing a blank. Uh Carolina, sorry. I could see him going to Carolina. For what, though? They're probably about to draft a quarterback. That's true, but I'm just saying. I mean, I, what, I mean, what I is could, he going to. I could see any team that needs a quarterback, you know, he could immediately go there and probably change oh, yeah. drastically. Any any team he goes to, he's going to change. He could go to Houston. Yeah. Any, uh, any team he decides to go to. He's going to automatically make that team better. To a certain extent. Yeah. But is it going to be enough? I don't 
my personal opinion is I don't think you can be I don't think you can be fast enough or athletic enough the way to, he is. to play that position that way and win consistently. And I'm not talking about just 10 games getting the playoffs because if that's what Dallas had, that would be a no starter. I can tell you that right now. Nobody, we, you know, the Dallas fans wouldn't put up with that. We're, we're looking for Super Bowls. Yep. And until somebody can win a Super Bowl, we saw this with Kaepernick in the 49ers. He got them to a Super Bowl, but once the league figured out what to do with him, he lost his job yep. and wound up being benched. <clears throat> so that, that that's the only thing that I'm not saying, you know, utilizing the best you can. If this is the answer, so be it. But if so, if he's going to get to a Super Bowl, because I don't think you're going to find a more athletic quarterback. No. I don't think you're going to find a faster quarterback. Nope. So this is a specimen that if you're going to do it, you got to do it with him. Yep. And your team better be ready to work around him. Right. And – I just think some elements are missing from the game now that's going to allow that. Yeah. I mean, all honestly, Baltimore's his best team. Yeah, well, they've built Because they built the whole team yeah. around him. But the problem is you're living and dying by the quarterback in the NFL today. Yep. That's, that's and the way he wants to go. Huh? He wants to go. He wants out. Sure. Sure, I get it. But, you know uh, – it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting thing that's playing out here because we're not we're seeing something that because the money that's involved with with what quarterbacks are getting and what Baltimore has done with this, it's almost turned into a a mini soap opera. In a yep. sense, but we're just going to have to see how it plays out. Um, so, um, so we're seeing that came that's coming out this week. The fact that Ezekiel Elliott still hasn't been signed, and now we're starting to get the reverberations of Cowboys the, wanting back. Well. The best place for him to go is back to Dallas. Yeah, so, you know, it's going to be interesting watching this unfold with Lamar Jackson. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. So, it, it's just, it, it's turned into a soap opera. But we'll see. Um, so, it's come out this week that Ezekiel Elliott, because he's still a free agent, Yep. And the reverberations around the league or around the media is that, well, the best place for him is <coughs> back the Cowboys. The Cowboys. Well, yeah. What do you think of that? So, when it comes to Zeke, I would not be opposed of bringing him back. My biggest thing is 
He's obviously not going to be the featured back. He's obviously not going to be the starting running back. But what would you think about bringing him back and making him a fullback? Just the fullback with the team. Because what what was before before he got hurt and before all you know he wore down all that? What were they all saying his greatest attribute was? Blocking, right? Right. So, would you be opposed to bring him back as a fullback, even though it's a dying, a dying position in the league? Would you be opposed to bringing him back as a fullback, giving him the veteran minimum, and letting him play that out? Um, but D, are you? I mean, are we really talking about all we're doing is bringing him back to block in short yardage situations? Maybe. See, I, I've just I've always had an issue with when that's you, all they are. Yeah, once you know a player's declined and you're you're just patchworking it or yeah. just trying to find a role he can I just think that sets a bad precedence for what what you're doing as would, a team. Would you think that he would be trying to almost take over the running back room and become like the top guy again and all that stuff. I mean, I no, I don't think he would, but no, I think I think physically he can't do it anymore. I don't either, and I don't think he would. And have I that think mindset. he knows that too. Yeah, I don't think he would have that mindset. But it's kind of like so the Cowboys are looking at that Laquan Treadwell that used yeah. to be Minnesota's number one draft pick, and so and. You know, you have to go back and look at his years, but I think yeah. he's played now for four different teams. But he had all the promise in the world as a number one pick. This whole jumping around from players that jump from team to team. Yeah, and uh, so to me, it's like in, in, I get sometimes a player can go, come from a bad situation, and you yeah. can find a diamond. But four of them. But four different teams have gone in now. You know, and I get it. Yeah. Dallas hasn't signed him. But to me, it's like, yeah, he's been with four different teams in four years now. That tells you something. That's a red flag. Yeah. That, you know, if four teams can't hang on to him, yeah. there's probably something wrong that that isn't, isn't gy- yeah. gyrating with what needs to be done here. And like I said, I just, I, I'm just a big proponent of once I see a decline yep. and, and I know it's there, and I've got to adjust for it because in going back to Ezekiel Elliott, you're only going to utilize him in short, situations short yardage, which would be predictable. Yeah. But then you can't utilize him in well, other either, situations. Well, either short yardage or using him as a fullback, which would open up your other running back, or you hand the ball off to him and let him go. Well, and so are and we there's adopting a, there's the a couple set again? That's what you would that that's the question, right? Are and, you going back to the two back set? And I don't think I don't think Dallas is ready to do that. No, and and just like they keep saying, oh, what's going to happen is short passes, dink and dunks, all that crap, right? I think that's bullshit. That's when it comes to McCarthy. He is known for pushing the ball down the field. Well, that's not. 
I know everybody wants to call the, the West Coast offense a dink and dunk. And compared to the what it was in the 70s, yes, I guess you could say yeah. that. But that's not what the West Coast offense is predicated on. It's predicated on what the defense gives you. Yeah. And you attack their yep. weaknesses. Uh, so if that means a team likes playing in man – and they like to leave their corners out on an island, then attack you attack them. those corners yep. with deep routes. You, yep. you know, that doesn't mean you just throw in front of the cornerback. You just make them run. Yeah, you, you, you attack them, force that weakness to be exposed. And so that's – I think sometimes that's the misconception of what the West Coast offense is um, a lot of times. And, and I'm, I'm a guilty of it too because I'm trying to paint a picture when I explain some of this stuff that – you know, instead of throwing it deep and scrambling around looking for a right. guy 30 yards downfield, you know. See, to of- me, the West Coast offense was always an offense that uses the pass to use the run. That's exactly what it was built So, on. the running back would come out, short pass, it's essentially a run. Right, And it, but it was the first, it was really the first, instead of, you had the deep route running in the 70s. Yeah. And then if that wasn't there, you dumped it off behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Well, the West Coast wasn't necessarily the dump off behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, was, you're making you're making gains. You're making gains. Like, you're looking for the 15, 20 But if you can't route, get it, You boom. dump off five, six yards. Yeah. And that's what gave the And the you illusion. had the running back to break off more yards right. than that. But that's what gave the illusion that you're actually running via the pass yep. because you're looking to attack deep. But if it's not there, if it ain't there, dump, dump it, it off, yep. drop it down, and that concept does work. We, you know, <coughs> and we were talking about this last week when we were talking about Bill Walsh, and so I went back and looked. Out of the 32 head coaches that are currently coaching in the NFL, yep. Every single one of them have coached under a West Coast offense at some point in their career. Hmm. Now, they might be a second – most of them are second-generation guys. Sure. But there are two coaches that have the most pedigree for today's NFL coaches, and that's Bill Walsh and Bill Parcells. Yeah. They've got most of the – and most of the coaches, I would say, are coming from the Bill Walsh side – Several of them come from both, like Sean Payton, for instance, has yeah. has been coached under both systems. So he, right. he's, you know, obviously he's built his offensive yeah. scheme with both coaching and both understandings, both concepts. With that, that also explains how he can go into a game and whether he has a West Coast offensive game plan. Doesn't matter. He he'll change it on a whim, and all of a sudden they're a running team right. the whole game. Right. And and I was uh, I was asked because uh, of a listener that was talking about how do we think how do I think Denver's going to do this year and what to expect. They'll suck. Uh, well, I think <laughs> you know. So Sean Payton. I, you know, I'm a fan of... I'm a fan of Sean Payton, but I don't think he's going to be able to fix that. 
I mean, you you have you have a quarterback who thinks he's bigger than the team, for one, and Sean Payton's already had to tell him, "You're not." But you got a quarterback who thinks he's bigger than the team. He he makes more money than anybody. He's the biggest guy on on the whole team, biggest personality, as boring and goofy as he is. Biggest personality. I think that quarterback is actually ruining that as good as Russell Wilson is, I think he's ruining that team. Well, and Sean Payton's got to be the one to fix it if that's going to be the case. Yeah. But let's assume, because I think we talked about we talk about charisma with these head coach. And your team has to buy in to what the head coach is. Yep. We saw it with Urban Meyer. But they also Meyer. have to buy in with the quarterback. Yeah, well, and we saw it with Urban Meyer go in and turn that into a shit show. Yep. Uh, with Jaguars. And then Peterson comes in, or Patterson comes Fixes in. Fixes everything. And all of a sudden he's got it going in the right direction. Yep. Uh, because he has street cred, he's got the credentials. I think Sean Payton's going to be able to. We're going to see. Well, a he's positive. already come in and told Russell Wilson, right. "You don't have your own office anymore. Right. You don't have this personal trainer coming in anymore. We're done with that." Right. So, because like you said, he's got street cred. Right. He's won a Super Bowl. Right, and he's and what he was able to do uh, with uh, Drew Brees. Um. I think, you know, I mean, because you're talking about basically the all I mean, of Russell Wilson's you're, you're a short guy, about, too. Yeah, you're going to almost talk about the same type of quarterback yeah. that's going to fit this system. <laughs> now, what to expect? Well, Sean Payton, uh, and we'll talk about this later with a topic, but Sean Payton, like I said, he comes from the mold of Bill Parcells. And he also comes from the mold of Bill Walsh. So he's taken – and he marries those two offensive schemes together. The difference between what Bill Walsh was doing and what Bill Parcells executed offensively, Parcells believed heavily in what the tight end is. So you're going to see more of what New Orleans was doing. Sean Payton has always had in his offensive schemes, has always first and foremost – his biggest weapon was his tight end. Just like when he was here in Dallas as the offensive coordinator, who did they draft? Jason Whitney. Yep. And and then when he went to New Orleans, who did he immediately get as fast as he could? He made a trade for Jimmy Graham. Yep. And so that tight end. So the kid they got in, in Denver right now, they drafted last year, was Greg Dolchich. Unfortunately, he got hurt at the end of the season, but I went back and watched some film on him, and he looks promising. I think he can definitely fit in what Sean Payton wants to do. And they like to run the Y concept, which is an option route, like Jason uh, Witten ran and, you know, Jimmy Graham ran where they go out and depending on whatever coverage they get, they're going either left or right. They're going to break it off 12 to 14 yards, and they're going to go left and right and be that safety valve for the quarterback, Um, just like you see Kelsey do. Yep. Um, So 
Um, I think that's going to be fine. Uh, they're, Sean Payton also shut down that they were never trying to trade Jerry Judy. and uh, Oh, did he? Yeah, Cortland Sutton as well. You know, he's, he's wanting to keep what ass, uh, assets he's got because they don't have any draft picks. Yep. I mean, they've got, I think, like three, and it starts. Wait, well, traded everything to get yeah, Russell Wilson. Yeah, so they've got to keep what they've got. Yeah. Um, they did go out and sign a couple of free agents to help bolster the offensive line and stuff like that. But, I, you know, like I said, I think what you're going to see, I think you're going to see some improvement, but I don't know if they've got the players in place to compete. Uh, I don't. I, I just don't see them competing with Kansas City this year. But I think he's going to be able to put them probably in the position where you're kind of seeing what the Jaguars are doing. They're 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 going to be a. You can see they're going to be a threat. Uh, yeah. They're probably going to be better than the Raiders because I think the Raiders have got to figure out what they're going to do with their defense. Uh, but I think they're probably going to be third in that division. Uh, give or take. Now, if uh, if if this drop off with Russell Wilson is continues continues, then this may be a problem. And Russell Wilson, this may be the last year for him, and they just may bite the bullet and just let, let, let him go. And I think they would have to eat something like fifty million dollars. But <laughs> that might be the case. Uh, but like I said, I, I, I think really the saving grace, what Denver's got, they probably went out and got the best available coach they possibly could have with Sean Payton. And I think I think he's going to get it right. He, he seems to do a good job with riding the ship. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't anticipate them making the playoffs. But I think they're probably going to be probably 7 and 11, you know, maybe – eight and nine, somewhere around there. But I don't think they're going to get in the playoffs. I think the AFC is going to be too strong for them right now. And unfortunately, they're probably not going to go where they're going to go with Russell Wilson regardless. And probably if this thing goes into two or three years, I think they're still going to hover around the 500 mark for a couple of years. And then by then, Russell Wilson's probably going to be retiring or probably going to be released. Yeah. But I'm not saying their their faults are going to necessarily come from Russell Wilson. There are sometimes I am. I think so. And it may be. We may see that 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 Russell Wilson has just declined that so much. So Russell Wilson's biggest attribute, would you say, is his deep pass? I mean, he, he's known as the best deep passer in the NFL. Yeah, and he had that old-school mentality, scramble around but by he can't, the time. But he can't do it anymore. Right. So, to me, that knocks off a huge part of his game. Well, he's got to go back to the way he was at Seattle, getting the ball out quicker. Yeah. And if he's not willing to do that, then, yeah, they're going to struggle. Yeah. Um, but I don't... I don't see them see, Denver, being as bad this year as yeah. they were last year. Well, I mean, they've got the draft coming up. But for one, Denver is not the team they used to be. You know, Denver for a while was 
defense, defense, defense. Right. And the offense came second. Right. And they won a Super Bowl out of that, yeah. doing it that way. Yeah. But nowadays, it's like, they, to me, they're not a defensive team. To me, they're going in trying to go toe-to-toe with some of these teams, and these teams are just whooping their ass. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, I see you over here looking at this draft book. Yeah. The quarterback out of, was it Kentucky? Who's yeah. the Will Levis. Yeah. Have you seen him recently? As far as how big he is? Yeah. Yeah. This dude is built like a fucking superhero. Yeah. This dude, so what? he said he gained, what, 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, he's definitely got a... This dude is huge. Yeah, I don't know if that's... This motherfucker has a six-pack and he's 220 pounds. Yeah, I don't, you know, and if he can maintain the weight, you know, I mean, he's been this size for... Nope, he said from college to the NFL, he's gained 20-something pounds. Well, I mean, and when you look at him, he is the stereotypical quarterback. Right. That is what you're looking for. He's a huge dude. Yeah. You know, 6'4", 230, whatever he is. Now, hell, he's probably 250 now. Yeah. This dude is massive, fucking cut-up, huge guy. Right. That's like, man, would you take him number one overall? Or would you take one of the other guys? Well, when you know they're small, you know they're small. My eye test says that the the only two quarterbacks I would take in the first round, just because the size of Bryce Young, you know, he's 5'10. Yeah. Uh, Smaller than the running backs. Yeah, and I mean he's he, he's he's fitting uh, Murray's size, so uh, Kyler Murray's size. Yeah, and unfortunately, until he struggles. So yeah, and physicality it may be a problem. <laughs> I would take either Will Levis or C.J. Stroud. Those are the two that I'm seeing that look NFL ready. Well, that you can put them in there. You know, I've got question marks on some of the stuff. But if you're going to go that route, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of starting a rookie quarterback and just throwing him out there. I think it always benefits a player. Let to him learn. Let him set at least one year before you throw him out there because I, I just think certain aspects of the game can destroy these players and they can never recover well, from it. look at Baker. Yeah. But he's also a shorter guy. He's a, he's a shorter guy. Short I would I would have never taken him in the first round either. I mean, if see here's a, I would have. Yeah. Well, Watching all the quarterbacks the come out. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watching all the quarterbacks that came out, I thought Baker looked better than all of them. Sure, and and I'll I'll admit, so does Bryce Young. Yeah. He looks better than all of them. I'm worried. But you know about how that goes. Size. I'm no worried about that. And when yeah. I've got to worry that much about it, I can't take him in the first round. Yeah. And he may be a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't know. Yeah. Nobody knows. 
I just would say I couldn't spend a first-round draft statistics pick say you're not going to be. Right. Yeah. The numbers say I would say it's Levis, going to be rare. Levis is my number one quarterback. Right. If Levis it were me, or if Stroud. it were me, and yeah. I'm drafting number one, and I'm the Panthers, right. I'm picking Levis. Right. Now, the the Richardson kids obviously gain, gaining steam. Yep. You know, I mean. Hell, they're saying now he's probably going to get picked the combine, in the first, first round. Before the combine, he was lucky if he was even in the second round. Now we're even talking first. some people might even be going first overall. Yep. Okay. Well, we'll see because his best stats in college were – his completion percentage in college were right around 52-53%. But he's That's, sitting here setting this damn shit on fire when he goes into the combine. It's like, so did Byron Jones. Well, and there again, I I, I think, are, there again, are you bringing him in to be a pocket passer or are you bringing him in to be another Lamar Jackson? Which one are you trying to make him? Now, if you wanted to be Lamar Jackson, go for it. Yep. Because that's essentially what what you're getting. You know, then so be it. But there again, I don't know. You know, he's just as fast, probably just as strong, just as big. So you got two of them running around. But I'm just telling you that until I can see it consistently, I don't don't buy that theory or I don't subscribe to that theory that a running quarterback is going to run his way to a Super Bowl consistently. He might sneak in one, but I don't think he can do it year in, year out. And then once the injuries start coming in, we've got a problem. Um, But, so, so going back to the Cowboys, um, so we signed Jonathan Hankins, the defensive tackle that they made the trade for last year midseason. Gave up a sixth-round pick for, so they re-signed him. And they let Carlos Watkins go free agency, and he got picked up by Arizona Cardinals. Um, which, you know, he, he's he's stable, but he's – His Still last couple of years, he's – Well, yeah. no, he's got stuff, but he, he gets injured. That That's – Yeah. He tends to get injured. Uh, so, I suspect – we're going to see Dallas drafting a, a D tackle somewhere. Uh, Hope so. Somewhere probably in the third, fourth round. Um, you know, unless something happens in the first round. Uh, just looking at, um, but going back to the Treadwell um, investigation here, the Cowboys are looking, and then, like I said, I don't think they're done. With the receiving core, because I think, I think Dallas has a big red flag on Michael Gallup. I think last year he was so far behind yep. what we've seen from him. Yep. They may be thinking he may be done. This yep. might be another Des Bryant situation where. He just can't come back from this. And I'm not saying that there's any news out there saying that. I'm saying from the performance-wise, I think they're thinking. Yeah, but hell, Dez at least was trying. 
Well, I'm not saying Gallup, Gallup. Gallup does not even look like he's trying. I he's just kind of he like, I think he is. I think it just may be one of these things where he's feeling pain from Scares the injury. Him. Scares him a little bit. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for these guys to still yeah. feel pain a couple of years after. Uh, so, yep. and he may not be comfortable with that. He doesn't trust it. I get it. Um, like I said, I've talked to runners that have blown out their ankles and yep. things like that, and they said it took them three or four years to trust. That's all fine. You know that it's yeah. just that's a new comfort they got to get used to. The you know the way the way the ankle feels or the knee's going to feel or whatever the case is. But I do think Dallas is is trying to find something out there to bring in in case Gallup isn't the guy. Yeah, but I think if they, this Treadwell kid that's out there, I think if financially, if they do the money right, they're probably going to sign him to some kind of performance clause if they wind up signing him. I'm a little leery of this signing, like we talked about. I don't, you know, <coughs> you played for four or five teams in yeah. six or seven red flag. years. That it tells me you, you, it's probably a big red flag. Um, you didn't get you didn't get let go for no reason, right? Um, so, with that, that's kind of giving us a clue of where Dallas is going. That by them signing Hankins, they probably are trying to say that we know we can go through the season with him. We can probably draft a backup, so we're not. Dallas again is is not really. Tilting their hand one yeah. way or another, where they're going to go with the draft. Yeah, and going into the draft, I feel like we kind of set ourselves up to where we don't have to go for need. No, go for the best player. Yeah, and so I think that's that's probably what's going to happen here is let somebody fall, and yeah, I think it's possible. It could be any player. I don't think there's. Well, if a quarterback falls in the first round, would you take him? No, I don't think they would do that. I don't think. Would you? No. No, I need somebody that's going to be impacting the game. Next year. Next year. Yeah. yeah at that point. I don't think, you know, I, I just don't. I don't want to pull a Jordan Love like Green Bay yeah. did. Uh, and let him sit on the bench for five Piss years. Piss somebody and, off and then this dude never well, even it starts. Just, it's, to me, it's, it's – I'm not saying Jordan Love – isn't going well, to be just something. Never started, but he's 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 been sitting on the bench for four yep. years, and yep. only because Aaron Rodgers is willing to be traded, is, is he, he even get, going to get a shot? Yeah, is he going to get a shot? Yeah, and so, you know, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident Dak Prescott's going to play another five years. Oh yeah, so, I think so. I just don't see that now. Like I said, so we can talk about that because I've kind of gone through and and. I've talked about Dallas does need to take a quarterback. Yeah. I'll, Maybe in the far far end of the draft or something well, to that effect. you know, looking at the guys, obviously they're not going to get any of the – No, talk the, guys. You know, Anthony Richardson. And, and I don't think – and I'm talking about guys that are going to fit what Dallas is trying to do. Anthony Richardson would be a whole scheme change. Yeah. I don't think He's Dallas a running – He's yeah. a Lamar Jackson. Yeah. So, I think the top guy that you – Probably would see Tennessee, Dallas. Well, possibly, possible. 
but I think probably Clayton Toon out of Houston, uh, you know, he's probably going to go third or fourth. Uh, he fits what Dallas <coughs> is doing. He's 6'2", 213. Uh, you know, pocket passer. He's going to fit more of what Dallas is. Hendon Hooker, I think, would be another one. That's who out you of Tennessee, like, Tennessee, right? 6'3", 221. Uh, he has to fall, though. Huh? He has to fall. He's probably he, – with what I'm anticipating, I think he's probably gone in the second. I don't, yeah, I don't think he's going to make the third. Uh, watching Max Dugan out of ten, TCU, uh, I'm just not impressed with him. I don't like the way he throws. I don't like how long it takes him to make his mind up. I just don't think – Looking at him, I don't think he's going to make a good pro quarterback at any level, yeah. at any point. I don't think you can give him five years to develop. I just there nothing about his game looks right to me. He, you know, he's that typical college quarterback that had a good run, but he did lose his starting job last year and won it back via injury from the huh. starter at TCU. But just looking at him, I don't see a pro quarterback in anything he does. Um, the other kid that I've been watching that I think could be a steal for anybody is Tyson Bajan out of Shepard. Now, he's probably going to go in the fifth or sixth round, but he could be another Brock Purdy. I see that in this kid. Yeah. I do see certain things that if he's coached right – he might be a he might be something. I think he's got something. Um, and then Aiden O'Connell from Purdue, 6'3", 212. Probably a seventh rounder. And then probably your last one is probably gonna be like Tanner McGee out of Stanford. He's 6'6". He's kinda got he, because he's so big, he's kind of got that long range of motion when yeah. he throws. So I, I, I can see him probably going seventh or possibly go, falling out I'd of the draft. Have something they got to fix. Yeah, and then and then from there, it's just going to be a guessing game with one of these other kids. But yeah, those are probably the quarterbacks I could possibly see going to Dallas. They he they fit what Dallas is trying to do. Uh, they they could easily come in. Um, now, and so, like I said, I think fourth, fifth round, you might see Dallas draft a quarterback. Yep. You know, maybe six if one of these guys fall that they want, like the, the Bajant kid, if he falls to the sixth, I would I would be for that. I'd be for this guy. It, I mean, hell, really, if, could be. if a hooker falls all the way to the third, I say take him. It's if, very that, if, he, if he falls to the Cowboys, if he's at the at end third, of the third, I might yeah. go for that. I don't know. Um, Dallas only has one third, but they're at the end of it. So yeah, it's very possible. I might. I would say it. pull the trigger. He's and probably go. not going to. He's probably not going to follow the fourth. I don't think he's going to be there. Get taken I, second. I think he's probably going in the second or early third. Early third. Okay, so let's go to running backs. Um. Bijan is obviously the top yeah, running he's back. He's the top running back. He's the top. Guy uh, hell, he's a top athlete in this yeah, entire so draft. He's, he's probably a top three 
player in player. the whole draft, offensive player in the whole draft. <coughs> um, if he's there when Dallas picks it, what, Pick 26, him. 27, wherever they're picking If they skip over him, yeah, I no, swear, that, that, I'm, that would be I'm a, done I, with this team. I think that's a mistake. That I would be the biggest there, damn most numbskull mistake I've ever seen the Cowboys take. But Other than getting Taco. Well, I think the chances of him falling that far, or I slim. think is probably about five percent. Yeah, I don't think he's, he's make, not going to be there. I don't think he's going to make it out of the top ten. I think there's too many teams that are going to take the shot and go. You know what? This is an asset. We're yep. taking him. He's yep. he's Ezekiel Elliott. He's whatever you want he's him to be. Elliott and uh, the guy from the Giants added together. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's better than Zeke. Uh, and that's coming out of I mean, Zeke, Zeke was the top athlete coming out of college. Right. I mean, he showed it, too. He dominated defenses. Um, Looking at these running backs that are coming out <laughs> this year, be honest with you, from two all the way probably to about the top ten, Dallas could take any one of those guys and probably be fine with their role they're going to play. Yeah, apparently Dallas likes uh, the kid out of TCU. Because uh, apparently he's going to be falling. There's two TCU kids. No, I think you're thinking of the receiver from TCU. He's uh, starting maybe. He's starting to fall. Um, Maybe so. Yeah, because I'm not seeing, uh, I don't recall seeing a TCU running back. <coughs> Maybe so. Um, but, like I said, I think it's real possible you could find a running back at any round in this draft. Oh yeah. So yeah. If if Bijan Robinson's not there, don't worry about don't it. Don't worry about it. Dallas can find a running back in any round. Yeah. That I think can come in and fit. So there's really no point in naming off these guys that I'm seeing that uh the one guy that might shock everybody is Dwayne McBride. He's comes from a small school. Sometimes those guys will be. Yeah, I'm fine if Dallas wants to take him in the fourth, fifth. You know, and he turns into another Pollard. Pollard, hey, you know, more power to him. So let's move to wide receivers. I think uh, Quentin Johnston out of out, uh, out of TCU. Yeah, he was rated the top wide receiver. His combine wasn't great, and I'm starting to hear rumbles that he's going to he's starting to slip a little bit. That. So if he's there at twenty six, would, would you take him? him. Would you? Six foot four, two hundred fifteen pounds. That's a big boy. Yeah, I would take. That's what Dallas likes. So, and being that, I don't. I'm not anticipating him being there. No, but if he somebody there, will get him. If, if if those rumors are true, what I'm seeing, I'm not seeing enough to say let him fall at that, and and I'd be willing to take him. Uh, I don't think Jordan Addison's going to be there when Dallas picks. Jalen Hyde might be at six foot, 180, 180. 
I might take him or Jackson Smith uh, Nabigda. I think that's how he's how how they, he's pronounced it out of Ohio State. Six one, two hundred pounds. But some of these other guys that are five eight, five nine, I'm not taking in the first round. Yeah, I'm not. I, Pass them up. Yeah, uh, I could see Rasheed Rice from SMU, six one, six two. I've seen fluctuations on his size, two hundred pounds. One of the fastest receivers in the draft. I could see him coming. He's improved every year at SMU. Uh, a lot of people are hound Josh Downs at North Carolina. He's a slot receiver. I'm not taking him in the first. I might take him in the third. I don't know if I would necessarily take him in the second. I don't know if I want to spend a second for a slot receiver. That's going to be a hard call. <coughs> um, Xavier Hutchinson, 6'2", 207. I could see Dallas going after him in the second or third. Uh, Andre Aceves out of Princeton. Not uh, Princeton, I... I not, not one of these big schools. I might consider a fourth maybe, but probably not a second or a third on him. Um, Devontae Wicks from Virginia, six foot two, two twelve, probably a fourth rounder. And the other kid that I thought looked impressive was eighth. A.T. Perry from Wake Forest, 6'4", 203. These are the guys that are fitting with Dallas. And probably the last guy I could say Dallas would probably go after is Cedric Tillman, 6'3", 214 from Tennessee. Fourth, fifth rounder probably there. So I really think what you're probably going to see if Dallas goes after a receiver, if uh, Quentin Johnson doesn't drop to them, I think probably I would look at Rasheed Rice, the SMU kid, going in the second round of Dallas. I, I would see Dallas really going after him. Um, so let's move to tight end. Which is slowly becoming the number one position in the NFL, yeah, I think. And, and Dallas needs this, but... Would they spend a first-round draft pick for a tight end? I don't know. Um, so, any well, of the Well, is there somebody that looks like Kelsey? Yeah. If that's the case, yes. I Well, what I'm seeing <coughs> is tight ends this year are kind of like the running backs. You can find them everywhere. You can find them almost in every round you're going to find probably a guy that's going to work for you. Dalton Kincaid is the number one rated one uh, that people are high on. He fits more kind of they're going to stretch the defense more of your Kelsey type. Um, I could possibly see Dallas going after him. Luke Musgrave, a lot of people are high on. And Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, a lot of people are high on. All those guys I think if Dallas is going to spend a first-round draft pick, it's very possible they could. And then from there, if they don't get them in the first, don't worry about it. They're, yeah. They can find one in Grab every one damn second. round from there on out. This is a, a, lo a lot of tight ends with what, a lot of size. It just showed 
tight end grade this year is A plus. Yeah. So there's a bunch of them. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of them that have a lot of size. You know, you don't have a lot of six two. They're all, almost all of them are six four, six five, two fifty. So some big boys. Some big guys that fit Dallas what they're trying to do, uh, and you know, and here's the thing too that I get in the conversations with people. And kind of like what happened last year with CeeDee Lamb getting the opportunity to be the number one and letting uh, – who did we let go to? Our number one receiver. Oh, uh, Cooper. Cooper. uh, Cooper Rush. Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper, sorry. My mind just went blank. You know, to find out what some of these players have, you've got to bite the bullet and give them that opportunity. CeeDee Lamb had a better year last year than Amari Cooper had at any given time when yep. he was here. He put up more numbers than Amari yep. Cooper ever did. Yep. You know, now what caught Dallas was the fact Michael Gallup was coming back from the torn ACL and that hurt him. Yep. It wasn't because CeeDee Lamb didn't live up to it. CeeDee Lamb shows he was number one. Dallas made the right move. So, now, whether or not they're going to allow this Jake Ferguson to come in and be the next tight end and do that. So, I'm not saying that Dallas is necessarily going to go after tight end at a high position. They might if they <coughs> see somebody that just blows them away. But also – they might also give Jake Ferguson the opportunity to prove him wrong. Yeah. So that that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing here. Um, offensive tackles. I don't anticipate Dallas taking an offensive tackle very high. I think they're going to be fine with Steele and Smith on the ends, and that's Tyler Smith, not Tyron Smith. Especially because offensive tackle is graded low this year. Yeah, offensive tackle this is one of the lower years of offensive tackle. I don't anticipate Dallas taking an offensive tackle. High, and watch them draft one. Yeah, <laughs> a lot will do it in the first that. round. Uh, there are some good ones, though. Don't get me wrong. Um, they're not going to fall. They're going to get gobbled up because the class is so yep. low. So they're going to get gobbled up, just like the year when Dallas took Taco. That was a bad year for defensive ends. That's why so many of them. Hey, went. all those defensive ends got taken, so Dallas just and jumped over the one they could one find. The one after Taco is the only one I that think came out to become that something. actually did anything. Yeah. So and we and, had a chance to get him. Yeah. Well, you know, life's a beach sometimes. Fucking Dallas. So I don't anticipate Dallas taking a tackle probably in the first three rounds. Uh, if they take one at all, they may not yeah. even take a tackle. Um, guard. Now I do anticipate them taking a guard this year, probably. Uh, one, Zach Martin is in his 30s, and they do probably want to bolster that left guard position, knowing Tyron Smith. Class is fair. It's a B plus where I'm seeing most of them. Uh, there are several that could fall to Dallas, and the there's really only one that kind of grades out in the first round, and if he falls to Dallas, you know, Dallas may take him. They might want to you know, they might bolster that offensive line and go ahead and take him. But there again, there, there's plenty of them that can go in the second, third, and fourth round that would fit nicely into Dallas's scheme. 
uh, and you know with size and everything Dallas likes sure. to do with their offensive guards. So you could easily have the top seven or eight that that could go uh, second, third, or fourth round. Now I do like centers. If we're sold on Biotic, I think so. If they're going to re-sign Biotic, this will be his last year. But I do think if John Michael Schmidt out of Minnesota is to fall, I do. I might think Dallas may take him take in it. first. It's very yeah. possible we could see him go in the first. Uh, the center class is a B minus, or about a B on average, is what I'm seeing. Uh, there's a few that Dallas could take, but he's the one that I think's really standing out and across the board that I think most people are, are slating is probably the best center, and he fits what Dallas likes to do. Uh, Ricky Stromberg, kid out of Arkansas. Dallas likes to draft Arkansas players, so don't be surprised if they don't take him maybe the third or fourth if they feel like they're not going to re-sign Biotis. Uh, if they don't, they don't take a center. It's chances are they feel comfortable re-signing Biotic. Um, I think so. This year, um, okay. Let's move to defense. Um, do I think Dallas would possibly pick another pass rusher in the first round? What do you think? I would say yeah. I mean, if 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 there is one that is a world beater and he falls down to Dallas, yeah. take him. So I are, just want them to take the best player available. Right. There are several defensive end pass rushers on the board. Yeah. That could definitely be there that fit what Dallas likes to do. Um, and I'm not opposed to bringing in another defensive end, but thing is we've got Sam Williams. Parsons. And then uh, Armstrong. And are we are we talking about a guy that's going to be more than a rotational guy? And that's the only problem I have with a first-round pick. I don't want him to be a rotational guy if you're going to yeah. stay in the first round. I, I want him to be a playmaker Yep. Um, at that point. But there are several that fits Dallas' scheme. Um, you're probably looking at probably four or five <coughs> in the first round going. So Dallas is probably going to be lucky if they get the sixth or seventh. So this could be another one of these taco type things that if they take a defensive end, they might be taking the sixth or seventh best one off the board. And at that point, I would pass. I would just yeah. move on because you're fine with Sam Williams and Armstrong. Yep. And why reach? Yeah, don't you don't need to reach for this position. Um, Defensive tackle. This we would need be, that. Yeah, we do need that, but this would be out of the norm for Dallas to draft a defensive tackle in the first round. And the overall class of defensive tackles this year is fair. It's, kind of and, it's about average. So you're probably going to have – you might have one stud in the top five, and it's probably going to be a guessing game which one that's going to be. From yep. there, you're probably going to be looking at fourth or fifth round before you take another one or you're willing to take that gamble because the fall-off is going to be pretty drastic. And But the the one kid that I 
think is interesting, though, out of the defensive tackles, well, actually, there's two of them. And they're, they're probably going to be wherever Dallas wants them as far as that. But the kid out of Wisconsin is Keanu Benton. He was a high school wrestler that had a 48-2 record. Huh. And he's played all four years in high school. He was a starter all four years in high school, a starter all four years at Wisconsin. So this kid's played eight straight years at defensive tackle. Shit. And hasn't missed a start. Now, I'm a big proponent of three- and four-year starters. And, you know, and I like two-sport players because I think playing another sport helps, gives you an advantage, gives you a little more uh, toolbox to utilize. But I like this kid, and if he's there in the third or fourth round, I think Dallas, you know, definitely could take a shot at him. The other kid that I like is Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green. Um, he's another guy that, you know, 47 straight games as a starter in college. And I'm just a big, big fan of guys that played more than one or two years. And I, and I think if either one of those are there, fourth or fifth round, I think Dallas could possibly take them. Um, other than that, like I said, it's a pretty, pretty thin class of, of what we're going to see. All right, so let's move to inside linebackers. Pretty average score. Um, the one kid that I truly like, um, he may be there in the first round. Would Dallas take an inside linebacker? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I like the Jack Campbell kid out of Iowa. He reminds me, actually, of a Leighton Vanderesh, but he's actually a true middle linebacker. So he, he would definitely fit the scheme for Dallas. Uh, and then Vanderesh only signed, what, a one-year deal or two-year? Uh, it was a two-year deal, making like $4 million a year. Right. It was nothing. Right. So... And Jack Campbell, 6'4", 248. So he's that, that big prototype. Most of the other and, line. And it would go against, or not go against, but go with their MO. Right. Is getting these top-tier linebackers. Yeah. Um, the rest of the inside linebackers and middle linebackers, it's, it's a small class as far as size. Kind of there's, only, there's only a few of them that fit the 6'3", six, 6'4", six, size. Uh, but I, you know that Jack Campbell, I think he he's he's fitting that profile the best, and he's usually rated up first second round to go. Uh, I don't know if Dallas would take him, but it, it's possible. Hell, on this one, he's actually ranked third and fourth round. Third and fourth round there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So so there's only two, uh, like you said, kind of kind of slim on inside linebackers. Right. But there's only two that are projected to go in the first and second round. Right, inside. And that's that's because we're seeing the the, the game change. Although outside linebacker, yeah. Uh Will Anderson is predicted top 5. Yeah, he's not going to be there when Dallas picks. Oh hell. No. <laughs> he's not yeah, going to drop no. that far. Um yeah, so outside linebacker, you, you know, this would be another pass rusher almost. Yeah. Kind of thing. That's uh, pretty much what that position's become. And really, the one I'm seeing that's high rated is the kid out of Arkansas, Drew Sanders. He's 6'4, 233. First, uh, second round. 
first or second round. He may drop, who knows, or Trent Simpson out of Clemson. I can see Dallas taking both of these guys if they happen to fall. Uh, and if they're, if they're going to fall that. And then you start – you kind of got a few other ones. Uh, Isaiah Folkskey, Notre Dame, 6'5", 265. He might be one. Uh, then, you know, Will McDonald out of Iowa. Will McDonald the fourth. He's another one that's probably going to go to the second or third. Yeah, first, uh, second. Yeah, he so, projected. I mean, there, there's a couple of guys there that I could see Dallas going after picking up. Um, but you do again. You got another. You you do get some of these guys that are starting to get that six foot six one. And I'm just not a big fan of of the small linebacker. I've never been. I, I like the six two, six three, six four guys. Six yeah. four actually more. Get them big. Yeah, I like the big. I I believe that in Dallas the same way. Dan Quinn's the same way. He comes from the Parcells mode when it comes to that. That bigger off defensive players tend to have that bigger size, bigger weight, tends to play on the offense, pushes more on the offense more, and has more of a wear-down effect. And yep. I think the more you, the bigger guys you got, the more weight you're pushing around. But there are several guys that are 6'4", six, 6'5", six, that fit that. So Dallas is probably okay in any round taking one of these outside linebackers. Uh, All right, so when it comes to cornerbacks, which I believe is next. Right. And Christian, it's a fair Christian Gonzalez is apparently the top guy. Right. But, I mean, there's nine to ten guys rated for the first round. Yeah, and I think uh, I think this year so cornerback is the – It's a deep cl- field. It's, it's considered a deep field, but I think it's also going to be one of these hit or miss fields. Whenever they we see this – some guys just suck. Yeah, we, we see guys get really overrated, and that's the that was what I was about to bring up. You saw it immediately, is how many of them graded out this high. Yeah. And like I said, watching the four college playoff games, most it's of like, these guys nah. came from these championship teams, and yet every one of these teams were hanging 40 and 50 on each other. So I'm a little leery of if these are going to be the next generation guys. Now, how can you be the top cornerback when you're getting burned? Right. Don't but make no sense. I do see a couple of them that I do like. Christian Gonzalez, I don't. he's not going to be there when Dallas picks. Joey yeah. Porter Jr. is not going to be there when Dallas picks. Uh, Devin Witherspoon, I've seen him rated number one. If he happens to fall, I don't think or he will. Or Keely Ringo. That's Keely Ringo is the one I'm seeing consistently in that Falling. range. Where if he's there, I can see Dallas taking him. 6'2", 200 pounds. I mean, take him. And the fastest corner, I think, in the whole draft. Really? I think he's the fastest. So. I mean, to me, uh, if B.J. B. Robertson ain't there. Right. Go ahead and just bolster up what you're already good at. Right. We're already good at cornerback. And I, yeah. And bolster gonna, it up. They're going to need it because I don't think we're going to have Gilmore – more than a season anyways. Yeah. I don't think they're going to re-sign him. I could see Keeley, Deontay Banks out of Maryland, 6'2", 205. Got good speed. Jalen Jones from Texas A&M, <coughs> 6'2", 205. Yeah, Jalen Jones is predicted second, third. And so the one that's Might kinda, be able to sneak that one. Now, the one that I think is going to be the sneaky one is this Eli Ricks out of Alabama at 6'2", 190. Little light, but I think he might be 
kind of in that mode of where Diggs is. Yeah. So I think some of these guys, these definitely could be some of the guys that we see Dallas go. Dallas, do, there again, Dan Quinn doesn't like short corners. He yeah, likes, he likes tall big ones. corners. So I, I could see that happening. And one of the guys that probably could possibly go that might be a steal, or well, I won't say a steal, but Dallas might look is this Lance Boykin from Coastal Carolina. Another one of these small school guys, but if Dallas wants to take him in the fourth, or the, I'm sorry, in the fifth or sixth, I can see it, 6'2", 202. So, Will Anderson Jr. is actually rated the number one player in the draft. Right. He's kind of, he's, Outside he's, lamp. Just he's like almost Micah like Parsons. Parsons. Yeah, he's just like Micah Parsons. Yeah, no. 6'3", 230. Right. Same size, and his speed is, I think. Same thing. Yeah. So, but you know, cornerbacks, I could definitely see Dallas. They're 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 going to probably get at least one, if not two, cornerbacks. Uh, and the safeties, pretty average class as well. We got a B on the class. Brian Branch is probably going to be gone in the top ten. Uh, he won't be there. But the kid that I'm really liking a lot that I see and. Believe it or not, he comes from a small school, and I know I, I'm not. A, I've said this, but the J.L. Skinner the third from Boise State. The more I watch this kid, the more I see him fit in Dallas's scheme. Yeah. Uh, he's six four, two fifteen, and I, that fits exactly what Dan Quinn wants. And really, the highest I think I've seen him go is second. So, it's very possible Dallas could take this kid in a second. Well, so, um, this mock draft is saying that Dallas is most likely going to get Lucas Van Ness, defensive end. Defensive end, yeah. and uh, Out of Iowa. Out of Iowa. Eh, Big yeah. boy, too. Yeah. 6'5", 275. Right, yeah. And th- that's... That could be possible. Like I said, you know, if you're he's rated twentieth best player. So yeah. if you get him at twenty six, yeah, that's if he a win. Falls, yeah, it's yeah, a win. I could see, I could see that. The other safety that I'm seeing is Anthony Johnson out of Texas A and M, six three one ninety five. Yeah, I could see him coming to Dallas, second or third round somewhere there, and then. Well, I had one more that I thought would really fit Dallas's. Um, and let me look again here. <clears throat> Tyreek Jones, another Boise State. Uh, and so Dallas likes drafting Boise State players, so don't be surprised yeah. if they don't take one of these safeties from Boise State. They have a connection there. Uh, typical. And then, though, though, there's always the one kid that – or there's always the one school that tends to always put good quality players. And I'll say this, Jay Ward out of LSU, I would watch out for that kid. For some reason, he's falling. I don't know why. But LSU is very good about putting safeties in the NFL. They, they seem to do a good job with safeties and corners. Their DBs are usually good. They, they, they do a pretty good job of finding DBs. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's only a handful of safeties that I could see Dallas really going after. But there again, two of them coming from Boise State, so I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they draft one of them. Yeah. Other than that, you got your kickers and punters, and Dallas never drafts a kicker or a punter. No. Uh, they're always free agents. But that's some of the players I could see Dallas taking that fits their schemes. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and every player does that. Every, I mean, every team does that. They profile their players a certain way. They don't just take them and go, okay, you know, you know, they like certain things or certain attributes about every player. So, but Dallas, like I said, Dallas tends to like the big physical guys for defense and the big physical receivers. Running backs, it's it's hard to say. And then the offensive line, obviously, big physical offensive linemen. So, I you know, that that's really the profile Dallas is 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 going. The bigger, the better, almost with Dallas. Uh, and you know, speed yeah. is a plus, obviously. But I, you know, Dan Quinn's going to go for the bigger guys, and he, we're seeing it yeah, every which, year. He keeps adding. It's a it's guys. a winning concept. Yeah. Every time he does it, he ends up winning. Yeah, by putting it. that extra piece that's yeah. got a little more size. He knows what he's looking for. Yeah. So yeah, and and I, I can see that Dallas this year, the Dan Quinn defense has been so. You saw the mold. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas drafts three or four defensive guys and all of them are going to be 6'3", six, 6'4", six, yeah. and can run like gazelles. Yep. And, it, it, and that's the only way you're going to bolster this defense anyways is just put more speed out there than you know what to do with. Um, because at some point, that's the way the – that's when you get the foundation built, you've got it. Now you've got to put it over the edge. You're not going to do it with one, just one more playmaker. You're going to do it with a scheme or a enough guys that yeah. can come in and just offset what they are. Yep. And I think that I think we're going to see either an emphasis with speed or an emphasis with size or both. And Dan Quinn being part of the Legion of Boom, that's what he did. It yeah. Was, it was. An they were all big, size strong, and, and fast. Yeah. So I, I think that's that. I think that's what we're going to see with these guys. And then, like I said, I think we're seeing a red flag on the other side with the receiving core outside of the kid we just traded. Cooks, sorry. Cooks. We just traded for Cooks, and Dallas is still continuing to bolster. I think something's. I think Dallas is looking for an insurance policy for Michael Gallup. I really yeah, probably think so. so. I think so. Um, so th- that, that's what I'm seeing. And, you know, we've got a couple more two or three weeks away from the draft. But. Yeah, I think maybe next episode, what do you think about breaking down some of the top players? Yeah, as far as who's going to where? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think we can because we're, we'll, you know, we're starting to see teams starting to give out clues of where they're going and stuff. You know, the the mock drafts that's been out for it's three all months. That, that, that's that shit's going to change every week from here on out. Yeah. You know, it'll it'll I, change I mean, every week and then the guys who make those drafts are sitting there like I called it. It's yeah. like, "Well, of course you called it. You made 45 different drafts." Right. But, you know, it's like Carolina, yeah, I think it's probably pretty sure they're going to take a quarterback. CJ. Probably sheet CJ. Well, you know, I I, I mean, if it was me, I take Willis. Yeah. I think. Know. Uh, but I think it's 
I think it's kind of, you know, that, that's almost a done deal that they're taking a quarter. Oh, yeah. Even I mean, you wouldn't move up said, like that unless you, know, you were. And with Frank Wright being the new coach. I mean, you would know, you move up was, like that if you weren't taking a quarterback? Well, no. think about what Frank Wright went through at Indianapolis. He was there four years and had a new quarterback every year, but it yep. was a retread quarterback. Yep. And I think part of his reason of going to Carolina was Let's saying, start over. If we're going to start over, give me a rookie quarterback that I can develop. Yep. Instead of this, give me a guy that's on the back end of his career and he's afraid to sit in the pocket anymore. Yep. And so, yeah, I really think that was probably the selling point for Frank Wright to go to Carolina. Yep. Was – that and they told him we're going to start over. Yeah, and you just get to pick. Yeah, you you yeah, whatever the case may be. And I and I think Frank Wright is a good coach. I really do. I would not be surprised though if Willis ends up being the first round pick or the number the one number pick. one pick. Oh, you know, we never know. We never know. I mean, I mean dude's but, built like a fucking brick shit house. Yeah. I mean, I see these new pictures of him. I'm like, holy shit! Right. This dude is fucking chiseled. You know, right. yeah, no, it, it, it's it's going to be interesting. But then I think probably once we start getting through the fourth or fifth or fifth yeah. and tenth, then then we're we're really going to start seeing what the pattern's going to be. Obviously, the more quarterbacks taken, it benefits Dallas because somebody yep. good's because then somebody good's going to fall. Yeah. So, uh, but anyways, I think that's 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 kind of what I'm seeing right now with with the draft. So far, that's yep. just raw. I have no idea who Dallas is taking. I really no, and, and this is one of the first years where I'm like, I have no clue. Yeah, who they're I going agree. after. I agree. You know? And really, both years that they had, I mean, I know who I would want them to take, but well, it's up to them. Well, just like with the Micah Parsons, yep. fall. Everybody thought cornerback, cornerback, cornerback. Yep, and, and they the took Micah. We watched two or three go off the board. I don't remember. Well, they and got rid of Horn. Yeah. And then uh, wasn't it Sertan? Sertan, both of them like left because that. yeah. that's who we wanted. Yeah, both of them were gone. They were like, "All right, get the next guy." Yeah, and and then it was like, oh, you know, because once I saw two or three go off the board of me, I'm like, "All right, yeah, go go find." We were both position. saying, "We're like, all right, well, quarterback well, is off the off yeah, the yeah. board. Go find another. You're going to do the same thing you did with Taco. You're going to take. Reach. You're going to settle for the third best, and there's no way that." That many cornerbacks are going to be, yep. you know, when you, when you had a run on quarterbacks too, and then all of a sudden the defensive players started going, and then all of a sudden you, if you got three going, there's no way you're grabbing the fourth best in the top twelve. Yep. You know, it just it, the numbers never work that way. You're yep. desperate. You're reaching, and they then what do they do? And when they reach, they always fuck up. Yeah. So every no, time, I I really think they're setting themselves up nicely. I don't think anybody's going to be able to predict what they're going to have. You know, yep. I can sit here and throw out predictions and give you 20 names, but I, I still don't know who they're going after. Yep. But And I like it that way because, there again, it gives them the flexibility. And plus, if they get there and the player they want isn't there, they is go gone, to the next one. And then they can trade down and gain a couple <coughs> more picks, get possibly two extra picks out of the draft in the top 100. I'm for that, too. Yeah. I mean, that's really what this draft is kind of laying out to be that really passed about the top ten guys. You're really seeing that 
the middle round teams or the middle round players are, are, are is going to be a toss up. That the more you can yep. get, the better off you're probably going to be. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I think next time, uh, we'll go over this uh book that you've read. Yeah. And then uh, probably I mean this podcast we kind of went over a lot of draft picks things like yeah. that. But I think the next one, what we'll do is we'll kind of go over who we think's going where and kind of yeah. grade a couple of these players. Yeah. You know, but especially before the draft. Yeah. And then, obviously, when the draft comes, we'll do a live live podcast or something to that effect, you know, while we're watching it in real time. Right. But, yeah, so the other book that you're reading, was yeah, it called? Yeah, so, so, and we kind of gave this one a... Uh, Tease a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes back, and it's a book called *The Blood and Guts: How Tight Ends Saved Football*. And uh, and it's basically just the evolution of the tight end. And uh, it starts basically from the '60s, um, and it takes like two tight ends from every generation. Um, it's by a guy named Tyler Dunn. Um, he actually has a podcast I've listened to. He's kind of interesting listening to him. Um, but each, uh, like I said, he, he's, he's breaking it down to where, you know, like chapter one, it's called The Blueprint, and the first tight end we talk about is Mike Dicka. And so Mike Dicka was drafted in the early 60s. And played for the Bears a couple of handful of years and broke a thousand yards his rookie year as a tight end. At that year, unheard of. Unheard of. And now that is the mark that we grade yep. a good tight end as a great tight yards. ends like they're wide receivers. Yeah. And Mike Dicka was this physical guy that didn't mind getting his hands dirty. Didn't mind, you know, because the game was physical still, you know, very physical back then. and But he was able to do things as far as they had never seen from a tight end position, like I said, to catch a 1,000 yards his rookie year. And, you know, and that started yep. setting the mold. And him and another guy named John Mackey that played for the Colts, who was Johnny Unitas's kind of – Safety valve, so to speak, yeah. before that term was used. They're, they're both the 60s guys that kind of set the mold of that physical tough tight end. These guys were playing uh, – they played hurt. They played with, you know, broken bones. You name it. Um, then as we move into the 70s, you get uh, a guy named Jackie Smith that played pretty much his whole career for the St. Louis Cardinals. And luckily, you know, he had a good career numbers-wise. He, he was good. He gets traded to the Cowboys and plays in the, the 1977 Super Bowl. I'm sorry, the 70, uh, 78 Super Bowl. And he's the one you always see that drops the winning touchdown pass in the end zone. 
and you see him flopping around on the ground and <laughs> on the and yet that's the one play that's been stuck with him. He only played one year with Dallas, and that's the one thing that that one place has stuck with him. But he's got, you know, his stats are incredible. But he played nine or ten years with. The Arizona Cardinals never really sniffed a championship playing with them. Comes to Dallas one year, obviously gets to a Super Bowl, and had an opportunity to have the winning touchdown catch or opportunity to go go ahead, let's just say. And winds up – I mean, ball hits him smack in the hands and just flat drops it. And it's just one of those things. And to this day, he talks about in the book that how nobody just lets that play die. And it's like, yeah, one play – uh, out of my know, whole that, career that, that that sums up his whole career the poor guy uh but no i mean i went back and watched some of his highlights and yeah the guy could flat play uh yeah it's just a shame that one play destroyed him um another guy they they talk about is dave casper that played for the raiders was a just a nasty football player. I mean, just did all the nasty Plays work. for the Raiders, you don't say. Yeah, and I mean, just, just flat. And, and and he was called the ghost for the Raiders. I mean, and he was one of these guys that you just come out of nowhere. and uh, Smack your yeah. ass. Now, unfortunately, in this book, he didn't want to be interviewed, so the really? chapter on him is real short. Really? But they did put him in here. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> They were like, we don't care if you want to be interviewed or not. You know, um, and uh, he's known for the holy roller play, the ball that that now there's a rule that, you know, you can't fumble the ball and let it go into the end zone, jump on it and win the game, that kind of thing. That's, you know, that yeah. rule's been changed that, you know, if you fumble it on fourth down, you got to be the one to recover it or it can't be advanced. Uh, and then we get into the 80s where we really see the expansion uh, or the role of the tight end really ex- uh, expand. And uh, Ozzie Newsome, uh, I remember watching Ozzie Newsome as a kid, and I just absolutely loved watching Ozzie Newsome as a kid. Um, he, he was just one of those guys that just jumped off the TV screen, you know. Uh, and uh, there again, you know, he goes on to have an outstanding career, he plays in a few championship games, never gets to a Super Bowl. Uh, and then, of course, he winds up being general manager for the Baltimore Colts and wins two Super Bowls as a general manager for the Colts. Um, and, I, I mean, it just, you know, he helped change the position. And then his counterpart for the late 70s, 80s, is another guy that I used to love was Kellen Winslow. I mean, this guy looked, I, I mean, at the time, he looked like a wide receiver out there, but he was big and physical and get nasty, and he, he, he'd catch everything. I, I mean, and, uh, you know, in, in the Chargers in the late 70s, early 80s, they were just setting the NFL on fire. Unfortunately, they never got to a Super Bowl. Um, but, yeah, he was another one that just flat – broke the mode um, uh, as far as what became the standard for uh, tight ends. <coughs> then as we get into uh, the 90s, and the, the title is called Club Shay Shay of, the, of the, this chapter. And 
it's about shedding sharp. And <laughs> we get a whole different mold of what a tight end is. Yep. And shedding you, sharp. You found a diva wide receiver and turned him into a tight end. Yeah, basically. And uh, that's what actually starts happening. These guys are, like you said, they're wide receivers in college, and they get turned into tight ends. And so this becomes a pattern. But Shannon Sharp, boy, I mean, he has the one-liners, talking trash. <laughs> yeah, he does. I mean, it just he, – he couldn't get enough. Couldn't he, shut know, his mouth. Shut his mouth, but, hey, he could back it up. So we talked about the charisma thing. Yeah. That, that guy was loaded with it. and But he was a hell of a player. I mean, Shannon Sharp was a hell of a player. Um, uh, you know. He, you back it up. Talk yeah, all the shit you want. He, he could definitely back it up and uh, – and so, but yeah, and it's got different little stories in here where Shannon Sharp, you know, just his mouth overloads his ass from time to time and some of the stuff. And, you know, of course, you, you know, he's got his show today that, yeah. you know, he, he, I mean, hell, he's still the same way. Yeah. And then, then it kind of, this book then kind of goes a different direction. It doesn't just go with the past catching tight ends because then really in the 90s, you kind of get the, the two-party type tight end to where you get the the pass-catching tight end that doesn't block a whole lot. They, you know, Then you get the down-and-dirty, nasty tight ends that are just, you know, they'll, they'll catch footballs, but they, yeah. they, they become blocking machines. And Ben Colts, that played for the New England Patriots in the early 90s with Drew Bledsoe and Parcells, I mean, this guy uh, – I mean, just the perfect Parcells type tight end. I mean, Jason Witten, more physical than Jason Witten, yeah. but then winds up becoming, has a hell of a career, you know, tears his body up. He can barely walk today. But then he becomes a coach and winds up teaching Jason Witten <coughs> the Y option pass as an assistant coach for the Cowboys uh, and several other uh you know, basically, that's that's the trend we see today. But, yeah, Ben Coach was a nasty, nasty tight end as far as had to deal with. Very, very physical, um, but a hell of a guy. Great personality. Um, and then the other counterpart to that was Mark Bruner that played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And another guy that just flat destroyed his body to play the position. Wasn't a... Didn't catch a whole lot, but uh, wasn't asked to in that role. And But there again, Mark Bruner came from uh, Mike Malarkey, who came from the Parcells tree that, that you know, made these guys into physical specimens. Uh, just an extension of, of the physical – Offensive line play, and then would you know catch catch a few passes here and there, um, and then really where the game has changed now was obviously when Tony Gonzalez comes into the picture. Yeah, and Tony and now Kelsey and Kittle, Kittle yeah, and that, all that of them, they done blew that shit yeah, away. Yeah, that, that's there. That's the these guys have changed that whole position. Yeah, that that, that that's what you. And Gonzalez was a basketball player in yep. college, and 
He did play football. I remember at USC. after him, they were drafting nothing but basketball players. Right, and he and that and it talks about that how him and uh, uh, Gates, huh? Gates, Antonio Gates for uh, yep for uh, San Diego. They become kind Just of the changed standard. the changed the whole yeah changed the whole position. And unfortunately, when it talks about this in the book, when Gonzalez was traded to the Atlanta Falcons, well, Mike Malarkey was the head coach there, and he wanted to change the role of what Gonzalez – he wanted Gonzalez to be more of a blocker than he was a catcher. They did not get along. Really? And the last game of the season – Gonzalez is sitting on 999 receptions. Yep, and he, he needed get to get 1,000. And didn't get the 1,000, and he held it against Mike Malarkey for many years. He, obviously, he does get it the next year, you know, because he played like 17 seasons. Right, but it's but like, yeah. why not let me get it? Yeah, why not let him get it? And he, to this day, those two do not talk to each other. They do not have respect for each other. He, did, he still did, never understood why Atlanta traded for him to have him be a blocker because he clearly said, I'm not blocking like that. Yeah. I'm not a power blocker. You know, I want to catch. I'm a catcher. I'm a, I'm a touchdown. Yeah, I catch touchdowns. And and so that did change part of the game. And that in itself is, I would say, it, that's a prime example of what you see now where yeah, I mean, the scheme was broken to fit Tony Gonzalez yeah. eventually instead of the other way around. I would say Gonzalez is probably the best tight end I've ever watched in my life. Yeah, as far as athletic ability I would and, say. and just yeah. I mean I the mean, dude it's, it's would take that, he would take yeah. over games. Well, and it, that's the way Kellen Winslow was with the Chargers. He yeah. he was he was clearly just a different cut yeah. than all the other players yeah. that played that position. Yeah, you're sitting there watching Gonzalez go down the seam, and you're like, oh, whoever that is that's on him, you're not stopping him. Right. And he'd catch the ball and boom, touchdown. Right. No, and, and obviously that's that's what you're seeing today with most of your tight ends is the, the high jump, the high yep. jump pass became a thing. With with Gonzalez and and Matt Ryan, you know, uh, and then you see it, you know, uh, Jimmy Graham and Drew yeah. Brees, and now it's it's a norm. It's just a norm. It's a normal pass. Um, Jeremy Shockey gets mentioned yep. here, nasty player, and you know when the Giants were looking at drafting. They consulted Parcells, and he told him, draft Jeremy Shockey. He's the best player in the draft. Yeah. <laughs> and they get him in the fifth round. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, and, yeah, it, it, you know, and Jeremy Shockey was another one of these guys that just do, yeah. the, do the dirty, nasty work. That's all he did. He just yeah. did what he was asked to do. Yeah. And uh, he, he eventually he gets traded to New Orleans, and – you know, he's he's there with Jimmy Graham. <laughs> Jimmy Graham started his career, sort of. And he, he you know, so Peyton had both of them at one, <coughs> at for, I think, one or two seasons. Yeah. Uh, but he does wind up, you know, he did win a Super Bowl with, with the Giants. Um, and 
and and there again, I mean, and he learned under Dan Dan Campbell as as a giant, who's now the head coach yep. uh, of the Detroit Lions, and you know, and what did Dan Campbell do? As soon as he could, he traded for Hawkinson. Yep. So I, I mean, you know, these these things. What, what, what we see, it, it, it's all you have to do is look back at where some of these guys come from. You can see the template and the pattern of where they're going with their team building uh, because it does work. Um, and <coughs> so we had Shockey, and then we get into uh, uh, the newer generation, Greg Olson was another guy that started out his career. He yep. was drafted by the Bears, wasn't really utilized correctly. He gets traded to Carolina, and him and Cam Newton, they, they connect, and, you know, they, obviously they get into a Super Bowl. They don't win it, but and then he, you know, I mean, he sets – he becomes a top-tier tight end in his generation. Um, you know, Gronk's in here. Jimmy Graham's in here, um, and uh, you know, not Kelsey. He's not in. But I say all a bunch of guys that are products of Tom Brady. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you know, uh, Dwight uh, uh, Dallas Clark. You know, I mean, they all each of them. They're they all have certain characteristics about them, but. It, it, I guess it's going to show that if you look at every good quarterback, yeah, every good quarterback in the past thirty years or forty years have had a great tight end. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, like you said, with I think Brady, Dallas, they they got you know, to do it, and uh, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting book. It's w- well worth reading. Uh, how, how the position has evolved. It's got some great stories. Each chapter is dedicated to a player. It's got great stories on some of these players, stuff I didn't know about some of these, like Jeremy Shockey. Uh, you know, he had a real bad infection when he uh, – I think he broke his ankle or something like that. And, uh, I mean, it, it was almost career-threatening, yeah. uh, real bad huh. infection, and, and wound up obviously being okay. But – um, yeah, there's 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 just tidbits and stories in here that that it's well worth reading, and uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It teaches you a little bit about the tight end, the way it's looked at today, and like I said, it, it from the '60s all the way up till today. Obviously, you know, Car- uh, Kittles is in here, George Kittles is in here, but uh, but it doesn't talk about Kelsey. Uh, I think and I th- Kelsey is. The best. Yeah, he's the best now. He's the best now, and and what we're seeing, uh, and you know, like I said, and you're gonna have another guy that's gonna step out here. Oh yeah, somebody three or four will. Years. Um, hopefully, he's he's got a star on the side of his helmet. Uh, I was about to say, and, hopefully, you know, he's Dallas Cowboy. Uh, but yeah, and uh, you know, and Dallas has had when Witten in his prime. Witten yep. was a top tight end, and it, it talks about Witten. He doesn't have a chapter dedicated to him. Uh, but there are a couple of tight ends I thought they should have. Mark Bavaro that played for the Giants. I thought he was a yeah. hell of a tight end that wasn't included in there. Yep. Uh, Billy Joe Dupree played for Dallas in the 70s. 
he wasn't included in there. But, you know, I get it. You, you can only talk about so many of them. But, you know, and some of them definitely were game changers uh, that, you know, you're going to remember. And so, like I said, I think it's well worth reading. It's called The Blood and the Guts, How the Tight Ends Saved Football by Tyler Dunn. Well worth looking into. Yeah. Yep, so uh, we plan on having a live stream during the draft. So if you guys want to come in, ask questions, we'll answer whatever. And uh, we'll, we'll also have a podcast next week, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, if you guys have anything you want us, to, want us to answer, go ahead and leave some comments. Send us a... Uh, you know, something, let us know what you want, and uh, we'll go from there. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.